Let us then return to Jonah chapter 1. Our text this morning will be found in verse 15. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 15 for our text. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Title I want to give to a meditation is Man Overboard. Man Overboard. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Jonah was a man who was running from God, and he turned from God's word. We are told in verse 2 that he got a very clear and concise word from the Lord. He got a very clear and concise commandment, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. And what did the prophet do? Well, he did the exact opposite. He decided that he would not obey the Lord his God. And instead of going to Nineveh, he would go to Tarshish, which is in Spain. And we might say he went in the complete opposite direction. He completely ignored the very clear and concise and direct commandment that the Lord had given to him. Now, he would have known this because he was a prophet. He was not a private individual, a private believer. He was one who was, in some real sense, more intimate with God than others. And God had spoken to him before, and he was obedient to that command that God had given him in previous occasions. But here, for some reason, and we know the reason, that he decided he was going to disobey. He was going to go in the opposite direction. And friends, we need to remind ourselves here because we can be exactly the same. You know, one problem that you get when you encounter people, whether it be in the street or whether you go knocking doors or whether you meet with people and you, you seek to draw their attention to the claims of Christ, and you, may, you might refer to the Bible, and very often people will say, well, I don't understand the Bible. Well, you know, we're all like that to some extent because there are difficult things in the Bible that none of us can understand. But the real problem with the Bible is that we do understand it. And we do understand the central message. We do understand that message that really comes from us from Genesis to the book of Revelation. It's a message that runs through the Bible. And that message is crystal clear. And here lies our great problem. There may well be difficulties in the Bible. We'll hold our hands up and acknowledge that. But the Bible is too clear for many of us. The Bible makes it clear. God's Word is not obscure. We are sinners. We are hell-deserving sinners. We need to be saved. We need to be saved from our sins. Many people sort of take a leap over sin and 
We need to be saved from hell. Well, that is true, but we need to be saved from our sins because it's our sins that will put us to hell. And friends, this is something that's clear. God is holy, absolutely holy, and we need to be delivered from our sins. Now, how can this come about? Well, we cannot do it ourselves. This is a lesson, a hard lesson. This is a lesson that goes against human nature. This is a lesson that smashes our pride, and we're too full of pride. We have to look to another. We have to go to the cross. We have to go to the Son of God. We have to go to the provision that God has made for sinners. Jesus Christ himself. Well, Jonah turned away from God's clear and simple command. And there may be some here who fall into that same position. You're abandoning, you're turning your back upon a very clear command that runs through the Bible. And Jonah also, he turned from God's presence we're distinctly told this. Verse 3, for instance, to go with them and to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And this was part of his uh, apology that he uttered to the, the mariners last week, as we noticed at the end of verse 10, that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them, here was Jonah, a prophet. Here was Jonah, a man of God. He was Jonah who had been intimate with God in times past. Now he was running away from the presence of God. Do you know, friends, what the Bible says about the presence of God? We read it in one of our Psalms, in Psalm 16. The last verse of Psalm 16, verse 11. What does it say? It's talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, this might be a strange thought to some people. It certainly is to the world, because no one associates the presence of God with pleasures forevermore. But that is the case. And this is what Jonah ran from. He had been intimate with God, but because he was disobedient and he wasn't going to obey the command, he ran from that intimate presence of God. Let us be clear. Jonah, and what we noticed last week, for instance, Jonah was one who, who believed in the omnipresence of God. Jonah did not think for one moment that he could escape from where God is. He did not think that. He knew that God is omnipresent, and he knew that wherever he went in the world, wherever he went in the universe even, he could not run or hide from the, the omnipresence of God. But he wanted to run away from the, the gracious presence of of God. And this is what he did. And this is why ultimately he was thrown overboard. 
part of the way that God was going to rescue him. But, you know, there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here for, for us to be encouraged. Jonah ran away from the gracious presence of God. He didn't want to be obedient. And let's be clear, let's, let's undergird this. We're talking here about a believer. We're not talking about an unbeliever. Here was Jonah, a believer, an office bearer, we might say, and he was running away from the presence of the Lord. You might think, well, if he's running like this, if he's that kind of individual, well, he's not of any use. Now, in one sense, that is true. But in another sense, under the sovereignty of God, he actually had, even as a disobedient servant, he actually had some success. What do I mean? Well, you see the men there, the fellow mariners, the sailors who were with him on the ship? Verse 5, for instance, when the sea was tempestuous, when the storm came upon them, the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Here were idolaters, here were unbelievers, and they were crying out to their pagan gods to save them from the storm. But what happened when Jonah told them who he was, and he told them about the God of the Hebrews, the God who made heaven and earth, and the God who had sent this, this terrible storm upon them? What happened? What do we find in verse 10? And we looked at it last week. Then were the men exceedingly afraid. Why hast thou done this? They were, they were now afraid. And by the time we get to verse 16, what do we find? Uh, we find them praying to the Lord. We find them making sacrifices. And we find them making vows. They had completely changed. Here was Jonah, at this time an unprofitable servant, a disobedient servant, yet under the sovereignty of God, he was actually used to bring about, in some real sense, their conversion. Now, is this not a sense of encouragement for us? I don't know your spiritual state today. I don't know your heart before God today, believer. But you might be like Jonah. You might be disobeying something that God has laid upon your heart. And you might be going in the opposite direction. We could think about what we heard yesterday about the family. and how we have duties and privileges and responsibilities in the home. And we might be ones who are not being diligent in our own homes. We might not be attending to our own vineyards. And we might be paying more attention to those outside of our homes. That's a possibility. But even under the sovereignty of God, even under his sovereignty, this disobedient prophet was used by God. Now, this is not an excuse. This is not to cause us in any sense to be disobedient to the clear and simple commands that God has given to us. But it does magnify the grace of God. And indeed, this very fact itself should have been a stimulus 
to Jonah. He was sent ultimately to evangelize idolaters. He was sent to evangelize people who were the very enemies of Israel. And he didn't want to do it, as we noticed in, in our introduction, he didn't want to do it because he knew that God was gracious and God would be merciful unto them when they heard the message. And he didn't want that. Why do I say then that the Lord used even Jonah's disobedience for his own glory? Well, if you look, for instance, at the shipmaster, you see what he said in verse 6 there, for instance? So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. This exhortation that the shipmaster gave to Jonah is very similar to the command that God gave to Jonah. Look at verse 2, for instance. See how similar it is. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. The shipmaster says, arise and cry unto your God. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. There are similarities. And when Jonah would have heard the cry of the shipmaster, it may well have reminded him about that cry that he was running away from. And therefore, even, even the shipmaster, he was being used by God to awaken the prophet. But Jonah could find no way of escape. And last week we noticed that he began to repent. In verse 9, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. This was Jonah, we might say, beginning to come to his senses, beginning to repent. He makes a confession before them. He tells them, he answers uh, some of these questions that they asked. Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? I'm a Hebrew, he tells them. And uh, I fear the Lord. He reminds him of this great God, the God of heaven and earth, the one who made all things, and the one who has brought this storm upon them because of his disobedience. But I want you to notice, friends, that even after this confession, that may be taken as repentance on behalf of Jonah, The storm did not stop. It did not stop. It continued. Verse 11, for instance, in the end, the end of verse 11, the sea wrought 
and was tempestuous. Verse 13, and was tempestuous against them. The men, they did not want to cast Jonah overboard. They did all within their power not to do it. They wanted to save him, and they wanted to ride out the storm. But even after Jonah's confession, the storm did not abate. Now, I do believe there is a lesson here for believers. There's a lesson to take on board here. God was going to teach Jonah a lesson, and he wasn't finished with him. The storm wasn't everything. God has many ways of dealing with his people. And as we have said on other occasions, God has many weapons or many arrows in his quiver. He can use this, the sea. He can use a multitude of things in order to bring about his people to repentance. And although it may seem that Jonah in some sense confessed and repented, yet the Lord was not done with him. And friends, for Christians, for believers here, maybe who are somewhat disobedient to the Lord their God, you are not to think that suddenly when you call upon him and when you repent, that God indeed will move back, that he will stop. He wants to teach you a lesson. You have much to learn. And this is the case for Jonah. The Lord was not finished with him yet. He had to be further humbled and to be dealt with. You remember the questions that were posed by the mariners? We have re quoted them just recently, but most of them were answered by Jonah, but one. Which one was not answered? What is thine occupation? Jonah doesn't say what his occupation was. The others, we might say that he answered in his statement, but not this one. Why not? Well, Jonah was at this time, he was a, a disobedient and rebellious believer. He wasn't sure of his status. He didn't know where he stood. He had been a prophet, he had been used by God, but now, because of his disobedience, all his assurance had been taken away from him. He didn't recognize his status. He wasn't sure. Once upon a time, he would be able to say clearly, I'm a prophet of the Lord. The Lord has spoken by me. But now, because of his disobedience, he did not have this assurance. He did not have this confidence. And what's more, he wanted to end his life when he says, cast me overboard. Get rid of me. He lost all sense of his purpose and of his assurance. Now, is there not a lesson for us all here? 
that is something that the Christian prizes. And some Christians will struggle. They look for assurance, and indeed they should look for assurance, because the Bible would press this upon us. We are to know that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to know that our sins are forgiven. We are to know these things that we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. We are to know that we have a saving interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that does not automatically come to every Christian. And many Christians will struggle to get assurance. But this is something that we should press on with. But the point is, if we're going to be disobedient to the very clear commands that we find in the Word of God, you'll never enjoy assurance. Never. You'll never have it. Because assurance is linked to obedience. And here was a prophet in a pitiful, backslidden state. He couldn't say what his occupation was. He couldn't speak about his relationship with the great God of heaven. He could speak about him, but he couldn't be able to say of his interest in him. Well, maybe this is where we are this, uh, this morning. Christian, what about your assurance? What about your interest or your known interest in the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, we know, friends, that our assurance can come and go. We know that it's something that we have to maintain. And we know that God, by his infinite wisdom, may withdraw that assurance from us for a period of time. We know that he deals with us in wonderful and mysterious ways. But nevertheless, we cannot be assured of our, of our salvation if, or we cannot have a, an assurance of our salvation if we're living in a disobedient state. This is what happened to poor Jonah. And as a result, he wanted to end his life. Because Assurance is linked to obedience. What about yourself then today? Do you have this assurance? Have you ever had it? Oh, it's a wonderful thing to have this assurance. It will help you. It will help you when trials and troubles come because of your association with the Lord Jesus Christ. When persecutions and trials come upon you, you will delight in this assurance. This assurance that your sins are forgiven, all your sins are forgiven. And what a wonderful thing it is to know this, to have that peaceful conscience where you're not condemned. Is it not marvelous to have a, a conscience that does not condemn you? This is what Paul strived to have, a, conf a conscience that did not 
condemn him before God and men. This is what he knew. Why did he know these things? Well, he knew these things because he was an obedient believer. And he had this assurance of his salvation. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Do you have this, friends? Do you notice this? This is part of your experience. There would have been a time when Jonah would have had that experience. But now because he had simply cast aside a clear command and lived a life of disobedience, even although he was orthodox, even although he was one who in some sense repented and was able to give a great confession of the great God that he served and knew, yet he lacked this assurance and he lost his purpose because he was living a life of an of un belief and disobedience. And as a result, friends, they took up Jonah and cast forth and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from a raging. This was the problem. Jonah was the problem. And God was dealing with him. And once Jonah was out what do we find? Then the men feared exceedingly. In verse 10, we noticed last week that the, the men feared exceedingly also. They were exceedingly afraid because they began to say to themselves, well, what kind of God would do this to one of their followers? What kind of God would do this to one who owns him and acknowledges him? one who has been disobedient to him. Who is this God? And then when, he, when they throw him out overboard, and the sea, the, that the sea then immediately becomes calm, they are confronted with this great and this glorious and awesome God. And we are told, they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Jonah, even as a disobedient prophet, was wonderfully used by the Lord. Knowing that the Lord is not in any sense hampered. How many, for instance, sermons preached by unconverted ministers have been a blessing to many. We're not for one moment saying that the sermon that was preached by the preacher who was instrumental in bringing about the conversion of Charles Haddon Spurgeon was unconverted. But by Spurgeon's own estimation, he wasn't a great preacher. No doubt he probably was converted, but he wasn't a great preacher. But the Lord blessed his preaching. And under his preaching, Mr. Spurgeon was converted, and as we say, the rest is history. There's no telling what God can do. This is our confidence. 
This is why we continue, because it's not due to our efforts. The Lord is able to do wonderful things, and he does wonderful things, even with unconverted, even with backslidden prophets and believers. The Lord is not straightened. His cause continues. Even when his prophet is thrown overboard, the Lord has a plan. The Lord has a purpose. And he would bring about the salvation from death for Jonah. And ultimately, he would go forth and he would preach what he was commanded to preach to the people of Nineveh. And there would be a great, great work of God there, even by this man who wanted to die and who was cast overboard. But the Lord indeed rescued him. And surely, therefore, this is to encourage us. It's for us to look at ourselves. Are we in a backslidden state? Are we living a disobedient life? And I'm talking here principally to believers. Is this what you find yourself in today? Being disobedient? Well, it's high time we go back into the path of obedience. It's high time that we sought the Lord again. And there is encouragement in God's Word. He hears the voice of the penitent. Though he might not instantly hear, but he does hear a genuine penitent. And he will work, and he will bring about your recovery. But maybe there are some here who are not believers. And maybe what we said does not apply to them, but still they live a disobedient life. They're disobedient in the sense that the gospel call goes out to the whole of creation, to every man, woman, and child. Do we not find in Acts chapter 17, for instance, where the apostle Paul is preaching before the, the knowledgeable or the wise of Athens? God calls all men to repentance. God commands all men to repent and to believe the gospel and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a time when God overlooked the sins of the Gentiles. He left them to continue in their ungodliness. But these days are over now that Jesus Christ has come, now that he has gone to the cross, and now the way of salvation has been opened to the Gentiles, and God is no longer overlooking their sins. And that's the same for us today. Here we are in a Christian church, and the Christian gospel is, is laid before us, as it is on many occasions. We are sinners. We need to be saved. We need to escape from the wrath that is to come. And God, who is rich in mercy, has provided the way of escape. If you think about that for a moment, that is amazing. That God, the one whom we have offended, is the one who has brought about the way to be reconciled to him. If we were left to ourselves, we would run from God. We would do exactly what Jonah's done. Run from him. 
But God, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come down to this world, and he has worked out a way whereby his wrath, his justice, and his love and his mercy can be satisfied. None of us could ever possibly think up this way of salvation. None of us. It's beyond us. It took the mind and the wisdom of God to devise this. And let us be encouraged. This happened in eternity. This is not show and this is not demonstrate how keen we can say that God is, that people are saved. He devised a plan even before sin came into this world. Even, even before the world was created. This was in the mind of God. And in time, it has been put into effect. So that today we're able to come here and to speak of these wonderful things and of the full and free salvation that's offered to every single one of us in and through Jesus Christ the Lord. Are we then disobedient? Are we disobedient to this gospel call? Well, friends, as the unbelieving Christian, or the, the Christian who is disobedient and who is turning away from the clear command of the Lord, as he will not know assurance and peace and joy the same can be said for the unbeliever. He will not know joy, real joy, lasting joy, until he comes, until he embraces the Savior, until his sins are forgiven, until he is reconciled to God. Man overboard. Jonah cast out into the depths. He thought it was all over, but no. God still had a plan and a purpose even for his backsliding, unprofitable servant. 